this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Amen. Now, for those of you who are watching online, uh, we, I wanted to show a video which was called Reverse Thinking, and, and we're going to add that link to the uh, to the service, so that kind of gives you an idea as to how I kind of wanted to start, because reverse thinking is an interesting concept today as we, as we look at the world and as, uh, as we observe things, and uh, we're continuing on in the series, which is called God Put Me Back Together, and um, it is about the fact that we are asking God to do what he has already sought to do from day one in our lives. He has sought to put us back together. He has sought to restore us. And we are on a journey where God is moving and restoring and working in our lives. And sometimes uh, we hit stops in our lives. And we see we have detours in our lives. And we find ourselves kind of lost in the woods or whatever. And we realize it. And what happens is we, we, we pray this prayer that, that says, God, I want to be back closer to you. I want you to restore me. I want you to put me in the place that I was before and even uh, beyond that. You ever prayed that prayer? God put me back together. If you prayed that prayer, it was because (laughs) you have felt like your life was falling apart. I have prayed that prayer many times in my journey. and, And you might think, well, pastor doesn't pray that prayer. No, pastor prays that prayer all the time. Because there have been many times where I have messed up royally. And there have been many times where I've sat and I've pouted and I've nursed bitter wounds. And, I've, and I have pushed away silent sin and, and things that have depleted me. Or I have just plain out, plain out drifted away. And, and there just are those times where you just say, God, I just keep messing up. God, I feel broken. Stuff has happened. I, I've walked away. But now I'm at a point where the hurting is so bad or the fact is that I'm tired that I'm not in the place where I need to be. And so the prayer becomes, God, put me back together. Help me to be the person that you want me to be. Help me to be growing in my faith. And so it's it's an advancement prayer. And let me just say this, because I'm not too sure who listens every Sunday, every week to, to these messages. I think the first step that you need to understand is that if you're praying for restoration, the first thing you need to know is, is God himself. And so you might be kind of at the verge of trying to know more about God, and you don't know him. You've never asked him into your life. You're not really a Christian. You're considering Christianity, and you're trying to find things out. Restoration only becomes possible at the point where you come to know Jesus. The first step is knowing Jesus. The first step is asking him to come in, realizing that you're a sinner, realizing that you can't fix yourself. And you come to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I have fallen away. I'm away from you. There's nothing that I can do to heal myself. I need you to come in and save me. Take the sin away. So that's the very first step. And it's an important thing to understand. Uh, But for those of us that may have been just a Christian for a little while, or we've been a believer in Christ, a passionate follower of Christ for a number of years, 
and uh, something has taken place, and we're just, we're just trying to find ourselves back to a place of full service to God. This is kind of what it's about, you know? Restoring the missing peace was the first thing. Restoring the missing passion was last week, and you can listen to those. Um, today I want to talk about restoring the missing perspective. And perspective is an extremely important thing. If you've lived any length of time, you have found that perspective will influence the way you see and understand things. It is important to have a proper perspective. If you don't have a proper perspective, then you end up going in a direction that is off-center and you continue to go off-center until you find yourself to be really, really lost. You ever... Um, Perspective is a funny thing. You ever look at one of those pictures and it depends on where you are standing to see the picture? It, if I'm standing to the left of the picture, I see a totally different picture than, than where I stand to the right of the picture. It's kind of weird when, when that happens, those type of pictures. Either that or I will look at a picture and it will be a picture of an old woman and the other person says, what are you talking about? That's a picture of a young woman. And it's all based on how you perceive things, how your eyes will kind of um, look at this. Kind of the interesting thing uh, about per perspective. Like this, is, this is seen in marriages. This is, you know, you, a lot of times if there's an accident... There will be witnesses, and one witness will tell a totally different story from another witness just based on how they perceived what had gone on or where they were standing at the time. But perspective is seen different, different amongst us, even in marriages between male and female. Sometimes there's just a different perspective. I, I came across this story where a husband and wife, and here's what their journals say after one night, the same night, says this. This is the wife's journal. Tonight, my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing. So I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset. They had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. When we got home, he just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. Around 15 minutes later, he came to bed. But I still felt that he was distracted and that his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. That was her journal entry. This is his journal entry. Rough day. Boat wouldn't start. Can't figure out why. Different perspective. It's funny how that is. Hey, I have even heard that this happens in the, um, the animal kingdom. There's the story, story of a, a lion who wanted to exert his authority. And so he goes up to the bear and says, who is the mightiest in the jungle? And the bear says, oh, gee, I don't know. And as soon as he says that, this bear just throws out this biggest roar that he possibly can. Roar! Shook the place, and the, and the bear said, yeah, yeah, okay, we all know that you're the, you're the mightiest in the jungle. He says, that's right. He struts back, and all of a sudden he sees the tiger, and goes up to the tiger and says, who's the mightiest in the jungle? Well, the tiger, having just heard the previous roar, says, hey, listen, lion, we know, we know that you are the mightiest in the jungle. He says, that's right. So then he struts over a few more yards and comes to the gorilla. 
He comes up to the girl and says, who's the mightiest in the jungle? And the, the lion or the elephant conks him on the head with his, with his trunk. And while he's still dazed, he grabs him by the tail, whips him around about a dozen times, throws him against the wall. And before he has a chance to get the, the, the elephant just saunters over to him, sits on him for about five minutes. And after five minutes, the, the lion finally gets himself free and says, all right, all right. Just because you don't know the answer, there's no need to get nasty about it. It's kind of funny how perspective can be different. Here's what um, I have kind of come down to, to talk about. Here's, here's a, an important point. Perspective is the platform from which you see things. It deals with what you observe, what you absorb, and then from there how you operate. What you observe, what you absorb... And then from there, how you operate. There's an interesting passage of scripture. I, at least I have found it interesting. And I'm, I'm reading it from the King James Version because I think it's, it's interesting how it depicts, depicts the passage of scripture. It's found in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. It says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. How a person thinks in his heart, that is the way he really is. You are not what you think you are, but you are what you think. And when it comes to perspective, I have found that Satan will do everything in his power to warp or change your perspective. Well, how do you know that? Well, because the very first words that come out of Satan's mouth in the Bible, found in Genesis chapter 3, were an attempt to warp the perspective, perspective of Eve. Did, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Really, he doesn't want you to eat from that tree because then you will have all knowledge. You will be like God. And so what happens is he tries to change the perception that she had and in doing so, throw her off. And that's what happened. And Satan has done the exact same thing throughout the centuries. And he seeks to do the same thing to us. Have you been, have you been a victim of faulty perspective? It's an important question to ask. Like the truth is, how we look at things, how we've been conditioned, how we are influenced is by many different things. Through the media, through the culture, through the internet, through philosophies, through television through life experience, through the personal narrative that we give ourselves. In the midst of it, we're required to determine what truth is and the best way to live. And, and it all comes through the perspective that we have. Like, I've heard uh, times where parents, I've heard a parent say this, is I don't like, I don't think it is right to direct my children, direct my children on how to think. And I thought about that. And I come to the conclusion that the world has no trouble trying to direct how your children think. It's important to direct your children how to think because there are so many bad influences actually telling them how to think. And it's true. It affects every area of your life. It used to be five years ago that we were, we were exposed to 3,000 advertisements a day. That was five years ago. I hear now five years later that it's up to 10,000 advertisements that we are exposed to every single day. It's crazy, isn't it? Stop to think about it. To have a godly perspective 
in a world with so much distraction, how you handle this recent pandemic was probably based on a perspective that you had. Whether you send your, your kids to a public school or to a private school or to a home school or to no school will be based on a perspective. And if you want my opinion, then I don't care. I'm not even going to get into that argument which so many people have gotten themselves into. I've found that it is possible to have a religious perspective and not necessarily a godly perspective. And perspective is terrific when it's correct, when you have the correct perspective. And it's trouble when you have the wrong perspective. And it's tragic when you think you have the right perspective and all of a sudden go through life to realize that you don't have the right perspective. So it's crucial. So how do I get a godly perspective? How does that work in the process of God restoring my life? Well, I think if you have a godly perspective, I think that it allows God to interject you into the right direction. But I think in order to have a correct perspective, to restore a godly perspective, I think it will deal with how you view three things. Let me just talk quickly about those. I think a godly perspective will be determined on how you, first of all, view the Father. How you view God will change how you live, how you give, how you forgive. It'll change your confidence, your generosity. Do you see him as a loving and graceful God, or do you see him as an angry, unattainable, impersonable God? The whole, the whole gospel is based on a perspective of a loving father seeking to restore mankind who is, who is um, without a doubt lost without him. There is no hope for mankind. And so what happens is when a person accepts Jesus, they accept Jesus from a loving God of grace who forgives them despite the fact that they deserve to be in a lost eternity. That's the gospel. It's based on the perspective that there is a loving God who is there to help us. We see God as a loving, graceful God. We see him as a God who will help us in everything. An almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God that loves you and seeks the best for you. And if your view of God is that, um, if, if your view looks like that, then... Um, then it's a great thing. But if all of a sudden you see God as a harsh God, if you see God as, as an unforgiving God or a God with which you better ever always keep it in line, then you will always be trying to live a perfect life, which you can't do. You will always feel the condemnation upon you. You will always be chasing after something that you will never, ever be attained. You end up becoming judgmental. It's important to see God for who he is. God is not a... You made your bed, now sleep in it, God. That's not God. That's not the God that is in the Bible anyways. There's a God who will restore you. There's a God who will welcome you back. There's a God who, who calls the prodigal son back to himself. It's not the seven times, God. Remember that passage where, where Peter says, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? No. He's a God who's continuously forgiving us. He's not a God where holiness trumps love. You know, we understand that God is a holy God and we seek to live a holy life because we love God and we want to serve him. We want to live a life which pleases him. But God is a God of grace. 
He's not the watchmaker God. It's called a deism. It's, it's the fact that, yeah, there is a God, but, but he really didn't want anything to do with us. Just like a, someone who creates a watch and they let the watch just kind of live out its, its time. I created it, but I have nothing to do with it. Well, that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who is a loving, caring God. Some people think, well, he's a benevolent God, but he doesn't have the power to change everything. If he did, he would. Well, no, that's not the way it is either. He is a loving God that allows life to mold us into his image. My question to you as, as we talk about this is, do you really believe what the Bible says about God? Like, do you believe First Thessalonians chapter 3, 3, it says, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and who will keep you from evil. He's faithful. He's going to do everything he can to help you live a holy life. What about Psalm chapter 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He protects me as I go through the valley of the shadow of death and, and, and all of these things. Do you believe that that is true? I know that's what it says, but, but do you really believe it? One of the most famous passages in Scripture Probably one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful chapter in the New Testament is Romans chapter 8. There are so many familiar verses and, and just strong passages of Scripture there. It starts off with this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. And it goes on to talk about the fact that God has given us the spirit of adoption so that we have become his son, that we call him Abba Father, the personal name for God. It goes on, it goes on to say, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then later on, it talks about, there's that famous passage which says, for we know that all work, all good works out to those who love Jesus and are called according to his, his purpose. And, and then from there, it says that we are more than conquerors from him who loves us. And and then it closes off, Romans chapter 8 closes off with this, this huge two-verse thing that says, what is going to separate us from the love of God? Pain, hardship, angels, principalities, all these things. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. That's what it says. As you read Romans chapter 8, take an opportunity, read Romans chapter 8, and then ask yourself, do I really believe that these things are true? If you do, you become convinced of the fact that there is a good God out there. Like it says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from a God that doesn't change. It's time that we began to actually believe what the Word of God says about God. And if you believe that to be true, it's good news for you. It brings you hope comes to realize that, that God has so many times, either directly or indirectly, told us that at the end we win. That we need to live a victorious life because we have God on our side. Think, someone said this, you can break God's heart, but you can never break his love. That he's a sovereign God. Sometimes he will allow things to take place in our life, which sometimes makes us question whether that is the fact. Oh, if he's a loving God, why am I facing this challenge? If he's a loving God, if he's on my side, why is this taking place? Well, God's continually working on you, developing your character. And, and in many cases, what goes on, if you consider the whole plan of God, it's only temporary when we think of eternity, which is the next point. How you view the Father is important for a godly perspective. How you view the future 
is also important for a godly perspective. Well, what do you mean by how you view the future? Well, a biblical perspective makes us consider the fact that we see time as this life, but not just this life, but the fact that there is a life that goes on forever after this life, that there is heaven. So when you accept Jesus and he comes into your life, there is the life that you live where, where God works and moves in our lives. But as soon as you die, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that I have said this before in other sermons or at other services. It says this, your life is the first page of a book that goes on forever. And the tragic thing is, is that we spend all of our resources and everything on that first page. Imagine the ramifications if you truly believed in a place called heaven. What do you mean I don't believe in a place called heaven? Well, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure who you are. But I have come to realize that this is maybe the biggest deterrent to a godly perspective. That we intellectually believe that there is a heaven afterwards. But the way we live our life indicates that we spend all of our resources on this life alone. The question is, do you really believe in a place called heaven? 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Well, what's Paul saying? He says, as a Christian, we have to think about eternity. That every decision that we make, every crossroad that we come to, every thought that we have needs to continually be with the realization that there is an eternity and that we are going to be in that eternity. And so this life all of a sudden becomes even more important because what we do here impacts eternity. And what I invest for eternity lasts forever and that I, I can't take it with me, but I can send it ahead. And, and as great as this life may be, First Peter tells me, that this life is just kind of like a vapor. It's just kind of like this flower of the grass that kind of withers away. It is only temporary. In the light of eternity, it is a blip. The life, the life that you have is just a small blip in the, in the whole process. And what we endure on this earth is only temporary. And this life will be something we will waste or an opportunity to invest. Rick Warren says it this way. That this life is a temporary assignment. That what happens and what we do on this earth matters because it is character that is developed and things that we gain as we go into eternity. Because eternity is not sitting in a cloud and playing a harp. There's going to be things that we do. I think, that, I think we will be surprised when we, we realize how busy we will be um, in eternity. But it's an important thing. An eternal perspective changes the way I live here right now. It changes how I th see things. If trouble happens, maybe my journey goes, goes, goes awry and maybe I'm going through difficult circumstances. There is always the realization that if I'm living forever, that what I'm going through right now, and I'm not too sure who this is going on to, and the, and the level of crisis that you are facing right now, but in the light of eternity, in the light of forever, it's very small.
This life is, 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 is a vapor, as I, said, as I said before. And it kind of come back to the, 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 the fact is, do we really believe this? It affects the way I live my life here and now. It affects my generosity. It affects how I give. An eternal mindset dictates that, that uh, I do not take with me, but I can certainly send it ahead. This is what Matthew chapter 6 talks about. Don't store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not steal. For where your treasure is, it says, then your heart will be there also. Changes the way I live. It changes the way I give. Changes the way I reach out. Changes the way I reach out. Because as I realize that there is an eternity to be gained, I think of the people that are around me who do not know God. And how there are people, as I have said many times before, that I cannot imagine heaven without. And you will be able to do many, many things in heaven that you also do here on earth. But the one thing that you will not be able to do in heaven that you do here on earth is to reach your friends, is to tell them about Jesus, to bring them into eternity with you. And so you have to ask yourself, on this earth, are you a pilgrim or are you a settler? What's the difference? Well, a pilgrim, they just kind of stayed in a place realizing that there was something better that they were going to. A settler comes and looks around and says, this is pretty nice. This is where I'm staying. It's the difference between one and the other. How you view the Father, how you view the future, and lastly, and this one's important, how you view the focus. So if God loves me, if God died for me, if there is eternity to be gained, what does that mean for me here and now? What is my purpose in all of this? In the light of God's plan, where do I fit? What in the world am I here for? How then shall I live? And I'm automatically drawn when I think of these things, when I consider my focus, when I consider my purpose, I ask myself, is it really about me? Or is it about something immensely bigger than myself? My mission no longer becomes to consume and collect as much as I can or to achieve many accolades or climb the highest ladder. But the focus is on continuing on in the kingdom of God, to realizing that there's a God who loves me, who has his best in store for me. I'll surrender my life to his will and to his purpose. And you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to ask, am I fulfilling or am I ignoring the focus? Find when Jesus talks about this subject, it gets, it gets kind of somber. You know, he tells stories about people who go and meet with them, and, and, and Jesus says, I, didn't even, I don't know, you go away from me. And he says, well, hold on a second, I've done all these miracles, I spoke all these things, I said all these, these wonderful things in your name. He says, I don't know you. Unless you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Well, it's pretty somber, isn't it? Unless you're fulfilling actually what he's calling you to do, to love people, to make a difference. How about the one where there's the story of, of the, the people that are given different talents. One's given five talents, one's given three talents, one's given one talent. And as the story goes on, one of them buries the talent. He 
He says, what did you do? You could, have, you, could have, you could have somehow invested it in some way, even if you put it in the bank, but you buried it. And, and his, he, he, was put into, he was put into darkness. It says, well, this, that's pretty somber thinking. Thinking God wants us to fulfill his purpose. It's an important thing to take a look, you know, at his purpose. So what is the focus? What does my mission become? Because of all these things, because I have a, a proper perspective, a view of the Father, and a proper view of the future, what should be my focus? How then should, do I live? Well, you become a conduit of his love. His love begins to flow through you and into the lives of others. Not only do I become a conduit of his love, I be a connector to eternity for many people. There, there are a number of people where you might be the only association that they have towards eternity. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That there might be, you might be the only person, might be a neighbor, might be a friend, might be a workmate, might be your family, I'm not too sure. And the only hope that they have of heaven or hearing about heaven is you. You become a connector to eternity. You become a courier of grace. You become an ambassador of the grace that God has extended to you. You begin to extend it to those people around you. You become a comfort to those in need. You begin to use your life to serve other people. You, you become cooperative in the task. All of a sudden you realize that the kingdom of God is building and going in a direction and you want to use your time and your talent and your treasures, everything that you have to be joined into that. You become a citizen in the family. You become part of the family of God. It is so crucial to be part of the family of God. It is the way God has constructed it. It is the way God has intended it to be. And let me just encourage you, uh, with everything that has happened over the last little while, the importance of being connected to the body for yourself, for the gifts that you have to offer, for the comforting that you can give to other people. We all serve together to see God move. When God moves in our lives, this is the thing to understand about the focus as well, that when God moves in our lives, many times he is moving for the sake of his kingdom and, and not necessarily for the sake of us. Don't be fooled by what is known in this culture as the assumption consumption. Well, what's the assumption consumption? It is this. It is the fact that if God prospers you, if you're a business owner and God blesses your business and it becomes profitable, if all of a sudden you get the bonus or you get the, um, the promotion and life goes well for you, Sometimes we assume that is, is the fact that, well, if that's it, if God has given me all this, then I am able to consume it for myself. But that's not what really Scripture talks about. That everything that I have and everything that I make and everything, anything that I advance, it will ultimately be for the glory of God. It's not to consume it. It is to utilize it for his kingdom. And you utilize it for his kingdom because this life only lasts for a little while and you need to be thinking about eternity. When God baptizes me in the Holy Spirit, 
There's a number of reasons that he comes into our lives at salvation, but when he baptizes me with the Holy Spirit, it is not necessarily just for me. It is for his kingdom. It is to carry out Acts 1 verse 8. There's a process in the work of the Holy Spirit. We are giving it so that we can be his witnesses to make it. And it's no clear in scripture. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 puts it this way. Carry one another's burdens. If you do this, you will be fulfilling the law of Christ. This is true. And this has been the way it has been since the beginning of the church. If you take a look at history, the most pronounced growth that happened in church history was the first 400 years of the church. And you begin to think, well, they just had it all together. No, they did not have it all together. They had lots of problems. They were dealing with how to figure things out. They were dealing with different cults and different teachings which were wrong. And there was a lot of things that took place. But there were, they talk about the fact that the church grew exponentially in the first 400 years of the church for the following reasons. That they had social networks, that they met together as the church. The church and the meeting together was extremely important to them. It's how they grew. It's how they supported each other. It's how they utilized their gifts. The second thing that they did was that they responded to the calamity of the sick and the dying and widows and orphans. And in times in the first 400 years of the church... There was a lot of diseases, there were a lot of pandemics, there were a lot of flus, and when people were leaving family members because they were sick and about to die, the church took care of them. And when there were a lot of husbands that died, the widows were taken care of. The other thing that they did is they took a stance against adultery and abortion and infanticide that that if you had a girl and you wanted a boy, you just kind of left the girl in the street. And so what they did is they began to take in these children and and the the modern day um, adoption agencies are the result of what had taken place in those early days of the church and the theology of love. That time, they could not conceive the fact that there was a God who actually wanted to be involved in our lives, that loved us. We understand this. Now, we didn't understand that 400 years ago. It was such a foreign thought that there's a God who loves us and that God loves us so much that he requires his followers to love those people around them. That wasn't the case back then. And as a result, the church exploded. You know when God... When, you know when you realize that you're understanding the focus? That when he begins to put a burden to serve in your life and you just can't shake it. He just puts an idea in your heart. Boy, somebody ought to do that. And all of a sudden he begins to work and he begins to move. And a godly perspective, if that was gained by the whole church, by the body of Christ, I believe that the world would be the pathway to our door. Honestly believe that. Someone wrote this down and said, a godly perspective leads to a godly life and godly decisions that will elevate our soul, encourage us to minister to others, and eliminate bondage. But sometimes it's no easy road. You know, um, we all know that you can buy blue jeans that are pre-worn, like they have holes in them. They look like they're like look like they're like forty years old. They're pre-washed and scraped up and scratched up and holes in them. We can buy them. It costs more money for them for some reason. You may not know this, but there is now 
mud in the can that you can spray on your 4x4 truck to make it look like you have driven through the Everglades or whatever, whatever dirt hole that you are going through. They have mud in the can. Can you believe that? You can buy mud to spray on your clean vehicle. I don't believe it. It is true. Check it on the internet. It's always true if it's on the internet. Well, not really, but they do have it. There's a story of a guy, uh, a young, young adult, who almost burnt down his school when he lit his guitar on fire. Why did he light his guitar on fire? Because he wanted it to look worn. Wanted it to look like he had been playing it for 20 years. It's funny how we, we do everything we can. I had a friend that I was helping. He, I was putting up a beam in, in his house, and, and he comes with a chain. He starts whipping this brand new beam that he just created. He starts hitting it with a, with a chain, wagging it, scraping I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I want to... I fatigue the wood. I want it to make like it's been there for a long period of time. I'm going to sustain it in a certain way, and I'm gonna, but i got to beat it. i got to put Denmark's in it. And the, the lengths that we go to to make things look mature. But when it comes to serving Jesus, there's no shortcuts, is there? That God wants us to live every day with a godly perspective that will lead to godly decisions that will restore us back to the place where he wants us to be. And that's my prayer for you. That's my desire for you. That the Spirit of God will work in such a way that you say, I'm not going to believe the way the world thinks. I'm going to believe the way the Word of God tells me to think. And let me just tell you, miracles happen when you take that first step of faith. God, I just pray that you will move in any person who is listening today to the word. I pray that you bless them. I pray for the presence of God to be upon them. And Lord, I pray that we take up the challenge to renew our perspective, to serve you with all of our heart. So have your way. Minister, Father. Help us, Lord, to be effective for you and for your kingdom, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We are glad that you joined us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. Thank you.